Good. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in, in a few places. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in Zechariah. If you don't know where Zechariah is, it's totally okay. Hit Matthew and just start going backwards, right? You'll hit, you'll hit it the quickest that you can. We'll be in Zechariah chapter 7. And then, Lord willing, if we have time, um, we'll go back a little bit uh, to the book of Ezra. And we'll be in Ezra chapter 8, okay? And you'll be able to see that on the screen. Uh, we're going to jump in really quick today as we have a lot to talk about. Excited to be with you. Just, it's good to see your faces in, in church. And uh, I imagine what you look like at home, and you've all cleaned up appropriately. If you're still at home, um, you know, in sweatpants, don't worry. I still picture you dressed up, so you look great as well. If you have your Bible, read with me uh, Matthew chapter 6. We'll look in verse 16 all the way down through verse 18 as we just get things primed this morning. The Bible says this, And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, as we walk through this, we're going to jump at this a little bit different. We'll probably come back to it either next week, the following week, um, because it's a wide topic as we look at fasting today. But as we look at this this morning, here's what I want you to catch. Look at the very first words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. It says, and when you what? Fast. When you fast, all right? Now go a little bit further. Go back with me a few verses to verse 5, okay? Verse 5, this is the opening of the Lord's Prayer. What does the Lord's Prayer says? It says, and when you pray, right? We know that's, that, that's there. We don't have any issue with that. Now go back to verse 2 uh, of chapter 6. It says, thus when you give to the needy. You see, there are practices that you and I are called to as followers of Jesus Christ that, that we are to practice. There are things that, that we are to do. We are to fast. We are to pray. We are to, to give. Those things should be uh, inseparable from the Christian life. As we talk about living this kingdom life, these are the practices that we must do. But check this out. This is our only fill in the blank today. So if you brought paper with you because we have to like get rid of all the paper for a little while it's coming back one day but it says this don't confuse the practices for the mission don't confuse the practices for the mission now this is really key all of these things when we talk about giving to the needy when we talk about prayer when we talk about uh, fasting they are all because of our mission you following me there? We, we are to fast, not to impress people, not to impress God, but because of our mission. We are to pray, not to try to um, build a working relationship with God so that in eternity he tells Peter to let us in, right? We, we pray because of our mission, because of our developing relationship with God. In the, in the beginning, we give to the needy. The church, which, which started like every major uh, hospital in the Houston area at the very least, Right? The church, we should be more caring of our community, more mindful of those in true need. We should be the ones who, who uh, I, I, I'm frugal, but we should be generous with those who need our help. These are practices that are born from our mission with the Lord. Are you following with me on this? Now, here's, here's what I want you to know. As we talk through that, 
we're going to look in Zechariah. And it's with that mindset of, of making sure that we don't get our practices confused with the mission, but our mission makes our practices come to life. That, that we talk about how you and I are to live the kingdom life today in this season that our world is in. Um, I want you to know, I, I was on the phone with a friend this week, a great friend. I was the best man in his wedding. Um, he's a police chief in the Dallas area. And uh, we were talking, and I said, hey, how, how, how are you doing? How are the boys doing? as triplets. How are the boys doing? How's your wife? What's going on in your life? I was calling church members this week. And, but, but, and he said, you know what? And I am just praying that I don't forget that I am called to the Christian life, and I'm not sucked in by everything else that's going on that's telling me I'm to act differently. And we had a long conversation, and you don't need to know the contents of it. But as we're talking, and I'm praying over my brothers, I want to tell you this passage came to mind. So here's a few things. So I want you to follow me all the way through. I, I, I need you to know this from my lips, that, that violence towards anyone, regardless of what they do or what they look like, that, that our violence born of hate, anger, or fear is of the enemy, not of Jesus. And, and we need to be praying for those who are, who are being attacked right now, um, for sure. But, and this was from the words and lips of my faithful friend, praying for our brothers and sisters on the police force or in positions of authority, praying for them does not mean that we can't acknowledge that there's sin that's going on in our world as well. They're not mutually exclusive. We can't, we can't only pray for this side or this side. You see, I, I believe wholeheartedly that there is evil intent in our world, sinful intent in our world, that desires you and I to think that practices are the purpose and not the mission. And I believe that there are there are people who don't love the Lord that want to twist any environment to their advantage. I believe it wholeheartedly, but that doesn't change the fact that you and I are on a mission. Are you following me? Are you staying with me? No one's left. If you turned off the TV at home, I don't know it, so I'm not offended. But check this out. I want to tell you a story of my life. Uh, about 12 years ago, as best as I can remember, um, I was a young pastor, and I went to our convention. It was being held here in Houston. Um, was, was really excited about going. You have to vote. We get to vote to talk about the things that we're in. I'm ready to go in. I intentionally sat way up in the bleachers. We're at George R. Brown Convention Center. I sat way up. Do you know why? Because I'm a loud mouth. And I determined that this day I was going to listen. I wasn't going to talk. I was just going to, I was going to, I was going to there. I was going to listen. I was going to learn from the people that were there. I was really excited. I'm sitting up. I'm determined not to say anything. I'm just going to clap and vote and do those things. And because of some circumstances with a church in our convention or in our cooperation of churches, um, we, we were brought forth or the committee brought forth just a statement affirming what the Bible says about marriage. Okay, that, that was all it was. It was just affirming what the Bible says about marriage, that God created it, that, that any relations that are uh, sexual, lustful outside of marriage is, is not of the Lord, and that anything that's not between one man or one woman is anti, it's not in the Bible, right? 
And, and they said, we just want to move to affirm what the Bible says. And so in this, check it out, um, with Robert's rules of organization or, or order, um, you get to talk. So you open it up, and one side says their opinion, and the other side says their opinion, and you go back and forth. You don't get to say all your examples in a row, like 47 people for it can't speak in a row, one at a time. And so in the midst of that, uh, a man gets up, and he says, this is ridiculous. Why do we have to affirm the Bible every time we're together? Why do we have to talk about this statement? People are going to think that we're hateful. He was upset. People are going to think that we're angry. People should just assume. They should just know where we stand. They should just know because we said it before. We said it three years ago. They should just know where we stand. And then he sat down. And it sounded like this. I mean, this room of thousands of people. Ministers and deacons and representatives and wives and leaders. And I'm hot. I'm so angry because I'm a kid in the bleachers determined not to talk. And someone needs to step up to that stinking microphone and say, what's wrong with affirming scripture? We should never, every time we get together, if you want to ask me, David, should I love my, my wife like Christ loved the church? Yeah, affirm it. If she wants you to sign your name under that every day as you leave the house, great. That didn't bother me a bit. But I'm in the, in the bleachers and no one is moving. Nobody's saying a word. And so in anger, in heat of the moment, I don't know what it looked like on the outside, but on the inside, I'm having to get up and I'm walking to the microphone and I am mad at everybody in the building. Everybody in the building is not on my invited to my next party list. Why? Because they know better. They, they are older. They're walking with Christ. I'm a kid and I'm walking the front. And right before I get to the mic, by the grace of God, an older man steps up to the microphone. And he said, I'd like to speak, which means I don't get to speak. Praise Jesus. And he basically said, David Adams Standard, what's wrong with reminding people that we believe in the Bible? What, what's wrong with affirming Scripture? I think we should do it every time we get together. So I walked out. In 12 years, I've not sat in a business meeting of our cooperation because men and women of God were slow to the microphone to affirm biblical truth. Church, we cannot assume that the world knows where we stand. Been in ministry since I was 18 years old. 22 years my wife has served with me. And because I know that my family is, is called to find our calling differently, many times in my marriage, I have made my wife assume that I loved her as I allowed another woman in the church to attack her because I tried to keep the peace. And because God is gracious, 
She is whole and loving. But my wife should never have to assume that I am for her. Amen? Church, we cannot assume at this day and age that people in this world, that brothers and sisters that sit next to you, they should not have to assume that you are for them. They should not have to assume that we believe that racism is against the word of God at its very core. They should not have to assume that just because we're defending one group online and not them, that, that, that they know we love them anyway. They should not have to assume that the person they interact with on Sunday morning or they see in the grocery store, they sit next to in small group, they should not have to assume that we are there for them. They should know because our hand should be on their shoulder. Their name should be on our lips. When I traveled to Kenya with Lawyer Jolly, one of our deacons, he made sure on that whole trip that I knew he was with me. You see, I was the Mzungu. I was the white guy. I was the only white guy everywhere I went. I didn't feel hated. I didn't feel out of place. And it didn't matter because I didn't have to assume that Lawyer Jolly was with me because he was always by me. Church, it's time for us to make sure the world in any shape, form, or fashion that no single person, brother or sister in Christ or one who needs the gospel, none of them should have to assume the body of Christ is with them. Why? Because our mission is the kingdom. The world is looking for practices to fix it. But the mission is the kingdom. We have to be willing to say, Lord, let me put my practices down for a minute so I can have your heart. David, I love it when he says, Lord, search me and know me. See, if there's anything inside of me that I don't see, would you take it out? Would you remove it so you can lead me to the everlasting way? And, and listen, in the middle of all this, as I've just been praying, I thought about COVID. The CDC released this week an estimate. And so that you know that everything I'm trying to say is as accurate as possible. It's an estimate. They've said it's an estimate. That the fatality rate from COVID is 0.26%. I want you to chew on that just a moment. That's their estimate. It's not my estimate. It's not... Joe Blow on the street, it's the CDC. It's their estimate. The fatality rate from COVID directly is 0.26%. They could be wrong. It's an estimate. Now, I want you to think about this. What has a 0.26% done to change your life? What has a 0.26% done to your job? What is a 0.26% chance done to your relationship with your family? What is a 0.26% done to our world? The odds of you dying from directly from COVID, not underlying, I'm, I'm, listen, follow me, I want to be clear. 
The odds are just 0.26. You have a 99.74% chance not to find fatality directly from COVID, per the CDC. But because you might, because what, what are we taking? What, what precautions have you, have you taken? What precautions are, are, what conversations are you having? Are you following? That's crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? Feels crazy. But at the same time, it's a little crazy. What if I'm the 0.26? And so I want to be careful because I'm a good steward. Now listen to me for one second. I don't know the percentage. But let's pretend the number of people that are filled with evil and hate in spite let's just pretend it's that low what conversations are people who are not in the majority black, hispanic asian what conversations are they having just in case just in case now, we can't write that off as irresponsible because we just admitted because of COVID, we changed our life. But the enemy wants us not to be considerate of our brothers and sisters because he wants us to be separate. He wants you to look for a man-made list of practices to fix this stuff. But it is time for the church not to listen to the world. Because church, we are people of the book. Amen? We are, this is our guide. It's the Holy Spirit that guides us. We will not fall prey to what the world calls us to because that would mean to seek the problem as the problem giver. This is the time, we have just read it in Matthew chapter 5, that we are to be light into a dark world. And when you and I remember that it is about our mission, not our practices, then we can wade through the what about, the what about, the what about. Hey, listen, we have a lot of people to care for in this world, but we do not neglect caring for one group so that we can care for another. Amen. Because our practices will not put us in a right relationship with God. Our practices are birthed from a right relationship with God. How do I know? Zechariah chapter 7, follow me. It's all about fasting. The Bible says it this way. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day in the ninth month, which was Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor. Now check that out. They sent them to entreat the favor of the Lord right they're trying to curry favor saying to the priest of the house of the lord of the host of the prophets should i weep and abstain in the fifth month as i have done all these many years now follow me check this is key what they're saying is we're trying to figure out how to get on god's good side so could you tell us if the practices that we're doing are working this is the other translation of it God is a big, angry God. And if you don't do exactly what he wants, when he wants, you end up in a bad spot. 
So therefore, could you let us know, are we making an impression on him? Oh, Lord of mercy. Have you ever thought that God was that way? Like, I just need to do a few more right things to get on his good side. That is the most man-made thought. How do we cure racism? How do we cure hate? We just need to do a couple of man-made things. Run to a few people that are, that are men that have good ideas or women that have great ideas. Whatever. Let's just run to them and let's see if we can figure out how to curry favor to settle everything down. Note to self. If you are in an argument with your wife, men and you left angry, and you come home, and you give her chocolate, she will eat the chocolate. But you have healed no wound. Why? Because it's the mission that bursts the practices. If your mission is to love your wife as Christ loved the church, then you will practice that in humility, in protection, and love, and in grace. But if you practice showing her, I want the peace, but you forget the mission, you've, you've missed it. And church, we cannot curry favor with God by our practices. Our practices are birthed from the mission. Now follow me. This is what verse 4 says. This is the Lord's response through, through Zechariah. It's so wonderful. Because they think fasting, fasting, praying, giving. Okay, if I can just fast, if I'm doing this regularly, if I pray enough, if I just can give to some people, then we'll be good with God. Verse 4. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me. This is Zechariah. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month, and it was the seventh month, excuse me, seventh for these 70 years. Check this out. This is what the Lord says. Was that for me? Really? Was that for me? That you've been doing all these? Was that for me? That you fast? Really? Can you hear it? Let me put it in, in different terms, and, and this has never happened in my house sincerely. It's just a deal. But, but if I've ever said, you know, um, you know, just sitting in the room, if Connor were to get out and go mow the yard, and he would come back in and say, Dad, I mowed the yard. I'd like to go to a friend's house. Was it for me you mowed the yard? Or was it for you? Right? If Ashley were to come home from college and say, look, Dad, I have straight A's. Isn't this awesome? I'd like a new car. Was it for me? You got straight A's. Was that for me? You can post any nice thing you want on Facebook. You, you can say anything you'd like. You can do good things. You pick the list. But I want to ask you the question, when you bring it before the Lord, is he going to say, was that really for me? Or were you just trying to look good to everybody else? Was that really for me? In fact, he corrects him and says, just before you answer that, verse 6, he says, and when you eat, when you drink, don't you do that for yourselves. Don't you drink for yourselves. 
Were not these words the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets? And when Jerusalem inhabitant, it was inhabited and prosperous, and her cities around her in the south and the lowland were inhabited. In other words, God hasn't changed. He's been saying this the whole time. Are you about the practices? Are you about the mission? Church, our church, our world, our community needs the bride of Christ to be on mission, not to, about, not to be about making appearances. Amen? We need to do what the gospel draws us to, not what our opinion draws us to, not what someone tells us we ought to do. See, because here's the deal. The world, verse, verse 1 through 4, the world says, if I can just make enough restitution with an angry God, then his anger will be abolished, sin will disappear, and life will be okay. That's a man-made thought from the pit of hell. Instead, what the Lord says is, your restitution are acts to curry favor. They're man-based, they're self-centered. Instead, church, verse 8, be on mission. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. The Lord says, let the mission be evident. Let the mission be evident. Are you about me? Are you about my relationship? Just show it. Show our relationship. When you're walking out in public, men, you're on mission. That's why you don't look at other women. Not because God didn't make women beautiful. He didn't make creation, those kinds. You don't look at other women because you're on mission for Christ. And your mission for Christ with your wife is to honor her. So that's what you do. I've been reading about dress and and things with gals. Listen, ladies, the reason that you should dress in a way that is considerate of your husband is not because of oppression or because you can't because you're evil. It's because you are on mission for Christ and you honor the Lord so much. Not only do you want no one to see see anything but Jesus in your life. You want your husband to know you treasure him. You see, when we're on mission, the practices of righteousness are evident. We give to the needy. We pray. We fast. We stand up for the fatherless, the sojourner. That's the foreigner. It's the immigrant, the poor. We do these things because we are on mission. Because they are the practices of a right relationship with God. But, but check this. This is huge. Verse, thir- verse uh, 11. But they refused. They refused to pay attention. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they may not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard. Diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through his former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear. Check that out. As I called and they would not hear, so I called, so they called and I would not hear says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that they had not known. 
And the land that they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro. And the pleasant land was made desolate. Church, here's the reality. In Zechariah's time, the temple hadn't been rebuilt yet. The full authorization of rebuilding Jerusalem, it wasn't the go. The people of God were living on enemy territory under oppression. They had lost faith, and because they had lost faith, they'd given up on their future. Today, if believers lose faith, then we will sacrifice the joy and the generosity that God has planned for us. We'll abandon the mission and lean towards practices. God's made you for more. In this season of the world, it is Christ lifted high. It's the name of Jesus lifted up. That that's what we are to be. Now, I get it. Just like in Zechariah's day, the enemy desires to twist, to distort. Listen, he is not omniscient. He doesn't, he doesn't know everything, but it doesn't mean he's an idiot. He wants to poke you over and over and over. Why? So that you would forget the mission. We cannot forget the mission. Ezra says this, verse 21 of chapter 8, and then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, for our children, for all of our goods. Now check this, verse 22, for I was ashamed to ask the king for, for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. He had the right to. He was just ashamed to. Why? Because we had told the king, the hand of our God is for the good on all who seek him. The hand of our God is on the good for all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted. And we implored our God for this, and he listened. See, you and I in this season, it's not the news that we should look to for guidance. Shoot, it's not even a man, no matter who that man is, including me. Ezra felt shame because his fear and anxiety about his situation had tempted him to look to men to solve the problem that only God was faithful enough. Do you believe? Do you believe that God can change the hearts of men and women? Do you believe that the God who holds your eternity in his hand can holds today in his hand? Do you believe that? Church, I believe wholeheartedly that fasting is voluntary, but the question is, is God calling us to fast? Is he calling us to examine our hearts so that we would turn to him? Our nation has turned away from the Lord for a long time. Our churches have been filled with believers who punch our cards and then say what we want, do what we want, watch what we want all week long. Listen, that's what made the people of God an object of wrath because God disciplined them. He doesn't want the land of promise to be desolate. This country, this world, it has one answer and his name is Jesus. And there's one avenue, there's one avenue for which Jesus is proclaimed, and that is the gospel through his bride. There it is. 
His Holy Spirit through the gospel, the gospel by biblical definition, the power for salvation for all who would believe. The gospel through his church, that is how our land is healed. That is how the oppressed and the forgotten stand up. Because the church stands with them. Now listen, our invitation is different. I don't know your heart today. I don't even judge it. I just, I just know what's here. And I can stand before you and tell you that I'm surrounded by people and I see your faces and I know your hearts. I couldn't be more proud to stand here with you. But a friend shared with me the other day and he said, David, aren't you anti-abortion all day long? Now listen, I don't stand on the street corner with a sign. It's just not how God's gifted or led me. I feel like he, he uses me differently. That's not to condemn those who do. It's just not me. But you couldn't be more anti-abortion. If you're to say, Pastor, are you anti-human trafficking? Are you kidding? Not only have we started relationships, have we made friendships to rescue and to prepare individually. If I were to see a man, woman, boy, or child being drawn into human trafficking, hell would have to get in my way and it would lose. Does your brother and sister in Christ who speaks a different language, who God created in his image to look differently than you, do they know you are as anti-racism as you are anti-abortion or anti-human trafficking? You and I, can, we cannot assume because we are people of the book. And the book is the word of God. And it contains the direction of life. So our invitation is just to ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. Because if the church isn't whole, our nation will not be whole. If the church isn't built on sound footing, our nation will not be built on sound footing. If the church is angry, and following the prophets of the world, our church will be, our world will be angry and follow the prophets of the world. Right here, not restitution or practices to appease any man, but to say, I affirm the word of God. Are you praying for those who are in leadership? Are you praying for the protection of those in our country? Are you praying as your heart breaks for your friend you love? We are not about practices. We're about the mission, and the mission is always in practice. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, the reality is, is that we need you. Lord Jesus, we ask you to heal our land by the confession of your bride. We are the people of the church. We are the people of the word, Lord. 
Father God, I pray for the healing of our country. We thank you for those who you've put in the position to be your light, Lord. Protect them. Lord, surround your bride. Lord Jesus, we pray for the healing, the reconciling of life. Lord, where we're going right now, we know it's bad. We know it's horrible. We, we, we know it. And we have been looking to every man to fix it. But Father God, let us look as one bride to the one king who can. And Lord, let us chase after you. Let us be ashamed that we look to men. Because we believe the Lord our God has a good hand and a good plan for his people. So let us be your feet. Let us be your hands. Father God, would you move us so that no one would ever have to guess that we stand with them in the battle against hate and racism and sin. Guard your bride. In Jesus' name, amen.